Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This week's Dumpty Dum is from me. We found it down the back of the sofa when tidying up and realised that it hadn't been used before. This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I am the newly reappointed farm manager who is known as Jacqueline Berto, and I'm here today with a new management trainee at Casey Meets who is... Stephen Bowden. And we are, of course, joined by the board of Borsetshire Land, and that's you, our lovely colourinners. Emailer inners and WhatsApp inners. For this episode, we've had another bumper crop of calls. We hear from Tracy from California, who thinks I sound like Adam, <laughs> Martin Evans, who's a first time caller inner, hooray, and who isn't impressed by Tom and Lee, Globetrotting Richard, 
who has thoughts about Lower Loxley and the tax implications of Elizabeth dying, among other things. David Mullis, who owes Helen a massive apology. Doris from New York, who calls us twice. Glynn, who speculates about Friday's episode. Michelle, another first-time caller in her. Hooray! Who has spotted some really bad decision-making in Ambridge. Formerly cycling Christine, who has a plot prediction involving Brian and Stella. Our Sandra, who wants to talk about Rory. Sarah from Smethwick, who wonders, amongst other things, if Freddie lives in the real world. Catherine, who wonders what Lee gets out of his relationship with Helen. Paul from Ulney, who found Friday's episode bizarre. Steve, who also lost his glasses last week and wants to talk about superpowers. Claire from Clapham, who has been shouting at her radio this week. And finally, Witherspoon, with news of a London meetup in July. We also have part two of the history of Bridge Farm from you. Tweet of the week from Purple Pumpkin, our Theo. And we have the social media roundup from our Sandra. But first, let's look at the week in Ambridge from our Sui, Queen or Tart. Hello lovely people, it's Sui here, Queen or Tart on the Twitters and another week in Ambridge. Up to Thursday night for this bit, I'm going to try and record a little bit extra to talk about Friday. We'll see how it goes. So this week's been all about manipulation. Too many people being twisted into doing other people's bidding. Lee, Stella, Tom, Rory and Brian for starters. So let's start with Stella. It's been a bit of a week for her. She went to Open Farm Sunday at Brookfield and said she would pursue Brian for unfair dismissal. There were cheers in the cheap seats at this prospect. David suggested she should suck up to Brian and make him feel like he's still in charge. Then Justin stuck his oar in and joined in accosting Brian at the bar in the bull. He'd arranged an emergency board meeting to terminate Home Farm's contract unless Brian reinstates Stella. Brian and Stella had a private conversation without Justin sticking his oar in. Brian didn't want Stella helping Justin to carry out his nefarious plans. Justin hasn't got an altruistic bone in his body. She'd be squandering all her hard work if the home farm lost the contract. Seems to be playing into Justin's hands, doesn't it? On Thursday, she apologised to Brian for buying the drill without his approval. Brian didn't exactly welcome her back with open arms, but better to have her back than lose the BL contract. I worry about all this playing into Justin's hands. Tom and Lee went to visit Manor Farm and Rob. Annoyingly, we didn't get to hear any of this. They are saving Timothy Watson for Friday night. Lee lied to Helen, Tom wound him up like a watch, ready to go off when Rob goaded him. Reports came out in dribs and drabs, but basically Rob pressed all Lee's buttons and then he karate chopped Rob, who did one of those fake dives you get in a football match and then he was reportedly unconscious. How believable this may be is up to the courts unless Helen persuades Rob to accept community resolution. If Rob doesn't agree to it, Lee may be charged with common assault and faces up to six months in jail and never ever seeing his girls in California ever again. Things seem to be going well for Helen until Sausage Boy and the Karate Kid really screwed up. Rob will take the chance to say Lee is violent and will press for access to Jack according to Anna Tregoran. At least Harrison got to do some actual policing, but it did feel like he's turned into Dixon of Doc Green. He's going to join Ben training Bess the Sheepdog as part of his 30 days in June. Rory came home to visit Brian at Blossom Hill Cottage. 
he apologised for being an utter brat. Hmm. Brian offered him money to stay and not go back to London. Oh dear. Ben visited Rory at Blossom Hill Cottage and then Rory offered dating advice to Ben, who still thinks about getting in touch with Beth. Rory's lost contact with his sugar mummy, so could really do with some money, but then goes all prissy about taking money off anybody else. Oh, it was all very whiny. Talking of whiny teenagers, Freddie failed to go to work and when interrogated by Lizzie, said he'd start back at work tomorrow. He talked to both his pals, Rory and Ben, neither of whom were going back into the family business. And then Freddie told Elizabeth he's made a decision. He's not coming back to work. He quit. This led to the bunting being broken out in the cheap seats. Hurrah! Lizzie, with a bottom-burning biryani, told Vince that Freddie was being a spoiled brat and remarkably hot-headed. Vince asked Freddie about his plans, which were all pie in the sky, frankly. So Vince offered him the position of management trainee which seemed a reasonable offer and Freddie said it's ludicrous. There's no way he'd be working at KC Meats. So by now we'll have heard what Rob says to Helen and what Helen says to Rob. I will try and get online to do an update on Friday night. I do hope she takes him down. Until next week then my lovelies, I hope it's a good one. Unfortunately Suey didn't get a chance to add to that. So how has your week been, Jasmine? My week has been very full on, as it has been in Ambridge. Lots of stuff going on. I'm glad that Sui mentioned the Freddie, Ben, uh, Rory conversation because I felt that it was quite significant for the future, for a bit for all of them. And then, of course, it's all been surpassed by the other goings-on. So I think one or two of our caller winners might have even mentioned that as well. So I was quite pleased with that. That was one of the things I took away at the beginning of the week. What about you? What have you taken away from this week, in real life or in the Archers? Well, in real life, I was away for most of the week in the Bavarian Alps. You go to some very glamorous places for meetings, Stephen Bowden. <laughs> I just go where they call the meeting. I get no, no say in the matter. Um, <laughs> How lucky you. We were very well fed, I'll, I'll tell you that. I bet. I love, love those Bavarian big hot meals that stuff you up in the middle of the summer. <laughs> and in the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, very definitely. Uh, so as far as uh, the week in Ambridge is concerned, well, you know that I've been really against the idea of Rob actually appearing. Yeah. And I was disappointed that that's what happened, even though I had resigned myself to the fact from about a week in advance. I just think, as I said last time we were together, if you see the monster, it's not as scary as not seeing the monster. Mm -hmm. And there are so many films yeah. where that's the case. Um, Jaws and Alien and so forth. Yeah. And when you yeah. do see them, they're, they're always a disappointment. And yeah. I was a bit disappointed by that. Are we? I was going to say, did you feel it was disappointing to hear him speaking? But I felt he was arch manipulative. Did you think it was real, his malaise? Or did he put it on? I think it was real. I'm not going to jump down the everything that Rob does is always bad mm. line. I'm not in any way defending anything that he has done in the past. No. But... Well, Miles did hint that something was wrong, didn't he? A few weeks ago when he came to, went to Bridge Farm and spoke to Helen. A wall wasn't well in Rob's world health-wise, so maybe, yeah. I don't know, I, I think I'm just frightened. It, it frightens me, I don't like the storyline. I've felt uncomfortable about it all along and um, I don't like what it's done to Helen. Lots of people have got things to say though about it, haven't they? They do, and because we've got so many calls, we had better get on to it. <laughs> yes, so had. let's get on to that important bit, which is you, our caller innerers. 
Hello, Ambridge3962. And we're going to start with Tracy from California. Okay, Tracy from California here. Yeah, so a couple things. First of all, I need to clear my name. I did not in my previous Big Pipe thingy say just shoot, um, what's his name, on site, um, <laughs> Rob. I said they should be prepared to shoot him if he comes and attacks Helen because there's nothing else you can do. Of course, you're supposed to follow the legal stuff. The other um, host that sounds kind of like Adam, he has misunderstood. So I just want to clarify that. The second thing is that I actually liked the gym glasses storyline until the part where we found out Susan had them. That was stupid, but I thought it was actually kind of charming. I'm probably the only one. Okay. The other thing is, on behalf of the country and the culture that blessed the world with hip hop, I never want to hear DJ Freddie P rap again. I just need that <laughs> to be made clear. It was horrible. And is that the best DJ name he could come up with? Okay, additionally, Adam is just like from bored to just terrible person. And that's a sad sight to see because I just, it seems just so unnecessary. And lastly, oh, and the Helen Lee family secrecy is ridiculous. They're a couple. They're supposed to just be vulnerable and tell like, yeah, I'm worried about this. I feel that. And they should know kids hear everything. Their ears are new. <laughs> so, you know, kids hear and they know. And lastly, I said in a previous post that a male family member, like some Cockney cousins, should go tell Rob to leave Helen alone. I was not talking about <laughs> Tom. Tom. Who is Tom going to intimidate? And I'm glad he's taking leave. But are you kidding me? I feel like I could kick Tom. But <laughs> so I don't he's not the best person for that job. Anyway, <laughs> that's my opinion for now. Hi, y'all. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So uh, let's get let's get to the most important point first. Um, so I think Tracy's there saying that you are boring, Stephen. No, she's saying I sound boring. It's not the same thing at all. <laughs> but she did say I sound like Adam, and then said that Adam has gone <laughs> from bad to worse. So it's, it's not the greatest of compliments. I think if if Tracy wants You're us to have... keep playing her calls, it's maybe <laughs> her who needs to apologise this time round. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think if if we're not just voices in somebody's headphones, if they met us in real life, they'd realise we aren't quite as straight and sober as we sound. Should we say that? I think that's a very fair way of saying it. <laughs> I laughed out loud about the Cockney cousins and why Tom and that whole thing of Tom persuading Lee to go. I I've had two. I had a deja vu moment when Helen said that she was going to go to Swindon, thinking this is this is the position we we're in last. At the end of last week, where a an archer, Tom, was persuading Lee to go down to the farm to see Rob. To what end? I didn't know how, how it could possibly pan out just arriving. I mean, they could have travelled all that way and he wasn't even there. But obviously that didn't happen. And Helen then going off to Swindon on her own. Crazy. I just felt it was like the bridge farm. What are they doing, that bridge farm lot? They're so unconnected. She's been having fairly sensible conversations with Anna Tregoran, and then she goes and does this, which I'm sure Anna would have said, absolutely do not under any circumstances do that. You risk compounding all the problems that Lee has caused. She took out a non-molestation or non-approach order. I can't remember exactly what it was called. And then she goes and breaks it herself. <laughs> you know, I just, for me, that was a crazy Helen action in under the, with the stress of the situation. Yes, I think the order would have applied to Jack and she wasn't quite as stupid as to take Jack with her and leave him in the car or anything like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's very true. Right, shall we move on to our next caller in? And this is a first-time caller in. first, Ooh, yes, time first caller, timer, isn't it? 
Yeah. It's Martin. Hello, it's Martin here from Sheffield, walking uh, Finn the dog down Ecclesall Woods. Thought I'd just take a moment. I'm a first-time caller in her. My pedigree probably goes back to the 1980s when Ruth came on the scene. So I'm very familiar with her and everything that's happening in the Archers. So, Rob and Helen, what's it all about? I just can't grasp the idea that everyone's getting so het up about the fact that Rob has formalised his approach to get contact with his son. He might be a controlling person, but that is kind of what he would do, really, isn't it? They're all getting a bit het up, and the idea that those two guys go around and, in effect, put the frighteners on him just is like putting fi- putting oil on the fire, so far as I can see. Anyway, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, forgive me if I'm going over old ground because I'm an omnibus listener. It's actually a week after all of this actually happened, so we'll see what's happening this week now. Anyway, I hope to call again soon. Thank you very much, and thank you for all the great work you do on this programme. Bye. Well, thank you, Martin, for calling in, and do keep calling in. Uh, we like hearing from all our listeners. We do, and um, we also have had a line in the past of dumdy dogs and dumdy cats, so welcome to Finn as well, um, walking there in the woods near Sheffield. Right, now, I don't know how you feel about this, but Rob is Giddy Jack's father, and, and what fascinated me on Friday evening was he did call him Jack and not Gideon, which is... Definitely a change from several years ago. Uh, he's his father, and fathers have rights, just no matter what they've done in the in the, the relationship. So I'm slightly in agreement with Martin that he has the right to ask to see his son. Yes, I noticed that he referred to him as Jack as well. Yes, he has rights, or at least he has the right to apply to the court for yeah, access. Yeah, I think that's what I was which trying to say. Which is what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. But whether it's actually right, decide what's appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know from my own personal experience that courts aren't always very understanding of the whole history of things. So, uh, you know, we shall see what happens there. But Martin, brilliant to hear from a new caller in Keep on listening and put a picture of that fin upon the Facebook site. Quite a few of the calls we had came in before Friday's episode. So we'll get on to the ones that came in afterwards a bit later on. But now we have. Globe trotting Richard. Will Lee only be charged with common assault if Rob Titchener was so shoved so hard he bashed his head on a paving slab? If there's any cut or wound, it could be ABH or GBH. But even a common assault conviction could lead him to be denied a visa waiver or a full visa application to the United States. It's very unclear whether he'd ever be able to go to America. On the other hand, these community resolution orders don't necessarily require Titchener's consent, although I think the scriptwriters are onto something to force horrendous Helen to choose between Rob consenting to sign off on this community resolution order or Lee being prosecuted in return for giving access to the children. If a dad, no matter how nasty, wants to see his kids, can he really be denied? I doubt it. If it's a supervised visitor, etc., that story is going to grind on and we're going to have to listen to Helen more and more and more, which doesn't fill the heart with gladness. I realise that if Elizabeth gifts Freddie Lower Loxley the day the trustees hand him control, he can own it without paying tax, provided she lives for seven years and she moves out or pays a market rent. She had a dodgy heart once, maybe that'll kill her, and then he will pay tax. The exchequer needs it. Ardil's disciplinary chat with Oliver... We don't know how it went and whether Ardell Fest got informed about the Brad 
George break-in. I suspect that Ardell's going to find out from someone other than Oliver, and much ado will follow. Other things to say, but no time. Bye. So Richard would like to see Elizabeth die within seven years of giving Lower Loxley to Freddie in order to raise some tax. Well, I suppose he's right that we do need tax. But it's quite a drastic approach. It's a bit of a drastic approach. And I keep wondering about Elizabeth and the stress that she seems to be going through with the general management of Lower Loxley. She's also got Freddie, who, well, maybe we won't talk about Freddie this time because we've got a caller in or two about talking about him later on. But he's very much causing Elizabeth stress by her not understanding where he's coming from and him not understanding what his actual position is. And then you've got Vince into the mix. So, yeah, she does have a heart condition, and it was a very big story at the time, quite a few years ago now, I know, but it's always been an underlying problem that she has. So um, who knows? As you know, I know quite a lot about heart conditions after the week I've had. (laughs) Yes, although we'll reassure the listeners it wasn't your heart that was at issue. Oh, definitely not my heart. (laughs) My heart's very much intact. (laughs) Okay, well, let's move on to our next call, which is from David Mullis. I never thought this day would come. This is David Mullis here. Thank you for the Daves on Twitter. I owe Helen a massive apology. I've listened to months and months and months of her absolute condescending, patronising diatribe to everybody and the constant playing of the victim card. But then I've just caught up and heard the latest episode. Tom and Lee visiting Rob. Good Lord. The Ambridge version of the Marx Brothers, Chuckle Brothers... Idiot brothers, moron brothers-in-law. What on earth? The complete telling of the story by Tom as it all unfolded. And he pushed Rob and he didn't mean to, but then when he fell and hit his head, all that was missing from turning it into an episode of Casualty was he hit his head and then fell into the machinery and all they found were his feet and his wedding ring from when he was married to you, Helen. I'm so sorry. What an absolute pair of morons. Did they honestly think they would be able to resolve everything by these two notorious, here's apparent to the craze from Ambridge, visiting him? What an absolute pair of morons. Oh, moron obviously being today's word for me. Hilarious in some parts that they thought they could impart some wisdom on him and keep him away, when in fact all they've done now is fuel the fire. So, I'm sorry, Helen. I was wrong about you. I think in everything, your fears were misplaced, not by your fear of Rob or him coming back to take Jack. It was actually the fear of what your idiot brother and idiot fiancé, fiancé, boyfriend, I don't know, we're going to do. Let him go to Weatherfield or San Francisco, what it may be. Tom, there's a sausage waiting for you. You better get back to it, because that's about the level of your intellect. Thanks. What a fantastic call. Really let us know what he was feeling. Absolutely, David. Thank you for getting that off your chest. I hope you feel better for it. I certainly feel better for having listened to that because I think he really, what everybody has been saying, what I've been feeling, what twits. It's just utterly irresponsible, (laughs) stupid behaviour. I'd like to say it was out of character with the two of them, but clearly it's not out of character with Tom, who is constantly doing foolish things. And Lee is just so easily led. Absolutely. She, he was definitely, he didn't want to go. He was, he didn't even want to get out of the car when he got there, did he? But Tom is so, so decided that he's in the right. Um, but it was interesting that he talked about, you know, protect, wanting to protect Helen. So I, I guess in, if we gave him a bit of leeway, not leeway, Tom way, 
Um, he's kind of in a protective mode, but oh my goodness, does he get it wrong? Yes, but Tom wanting to protect Helen is a bit like me wanting to do open heart surgery. I just haven't got the skills to do that, and there are much <laughs> better people able to do that than uh, Tom or, or indeed Lee. Mm. Mm, interesting, but well done, David, for getting all that all off your chest, as we say, and I'm sure you'll feel better about it now, or not, after you've heard Helen going to Swindon. We shall hear what you say next week. So, the best and easiest way for you to record a message or a plot prediction is to go to speakpipe.com forward slash dumpty dum, and don't forget that T in the middle, and you'll also find a note, uh, a link in the show notes, and on the Facebook page, and Instagram, and usually on Twitter towards the end of the week. Now, a couple of people have sent us messages via voice messages via Messenger, which is great, but in fact, they're very hard technically, aren't they, Stephen, to download and get onto this studio platform? Yes, unfortunately, the way that Facebook has set up things, it's impossible to directly download them, and you have to go through several stages to get them in a state that we can use them on the programme. So the best way of getting us a voice message is via WhatsApp on plus four four seven nine five seven one six seven six nine six. And whether you're using SpeakPipe or WhatsApp, please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And bear in mind that you need to be at least 18 to take part. Now, as you all know, and will have realised by now, we're trying to rejig Dumpty Dum just a little in the absence of Roy Field, who's concentrating on paid work rather than this 10-year-old podcast that he's been doing. And one of our problems is editing. Stephen has very quickly come up to speed, so when he and I record, he can edit very quickly. Philippa is a professional who edits her own podcast, plus edits this, but they're very time-consuming. And sometimes Stephen isn't available. Philippa's got a family life and other work. And if I'm recording, there's no one to edit it. So if there's anybody out there who would like to volunteer to help us, uh, to help me specifically because I'm non-technical, to edit the podcast after I've recorded with one of our hosts, maybe uh, you could send an email to Dumpty Dum or send an email directly to me at Jacqueline.Berto at at yahoo.fr. Sorry, I'm so used to saying that in French. It came out in franglais. Jacqueline Pointberto. I will put the put the address in the in the show notes. How about that? So if you can help and you you've got some skill in editing and wouldn't mind offering a couple of hours to help edit it, the show, please get in touch. Now we also need your help with other things. We're always asking you to do things for us, aren't we? First of all, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast streamer you use. Secondly, give us a review. It'd be hugely appreciated, but especially if it's on that Apple podcast. And of course, a five star review always goes down well. But we do accept others and we always read out the reviews that we get, good, bad or ugly. Finally, the third thing that you could do is to consider becoming a Patreon and contributing to the costs of running the show that way. If you just go to patreon.com and search for Dumpty Dum, we would be delighted to have your support. You can also go to dumptydum.com and hit the donate button and become a sponsor of the show that way. Now, we do continue to need your dumpty dums. We can't keep finding stray files from Stephen down the back of the sofa. And we need those to give us a little bank of tunes that we can play in the future. So if you fancy singing with your friends, family, or with your barber shop quartet even, or sending us a sultry mambo version of Barwick Green, please send it to us. It will be most welcome. Now, I think we're going on to listen to you, Stephen, aren't we? 
Yes, this is the second part of my history of Bridge Farm. This is the BBC live programme. Here is the news. Here is the second part of a two-part, two-minute history of Bridge Farm. We ended part one in 1994, with Bridge Farm's tenants, Pat and Tony Archer, having committed to taking their enterprise organic. We now roll forward a few years. In 1992, Bridge Farm first opened a shop to sell their organic produce direct to the public. Also, in 1992, Pat and Tony were offered the freehold of the farm for £160,000, but turned down the chance to buy it. They were given first refusal again when the estate was sold in 1997 and again decided not to go ahead, as Pat was determined to expand the dairy operation, although employing Jason to do the necessary building work was perhaps not her best decision. That expansion also put paid to the shop. A couple of years later, however, they found some vacant premises in Borchester, which they turned into Ambridge Organics, managed by Helen. In 2008, Pat and Tony finally bought the freehold, after having had to deal with Matt Crawford, a major shareholder in the freeholder, Borchester Land, attempting to convert the barn that they used for packing vegetable boxes into a four-bedroomed house. But soon after that, they ran into trouble with the Environment Agency, who traced pollution in Hayden Brook to a collapsed drain in the Bridge Farm yard. This was when Helen persuaded her parents to replace the existing drainage with a series of reed beds and lagoons, which would naturally clean grey water from the farm so that it could flow into the am, while at the same time attracting wildlife to the farm. Very good, very interesting. Thank you for that, Stephen. What's the next one you're going to do? Do you know? I'm not sure yet. I, have, I haven't got any lined up at the moment. I will need to focus on that this week. <laughs> well, oh, they're very we good. May, we may, we had, sorry. Yeah, we may or may not have one next week. Mm. Well, we've had a lot of positive feedback. So many people have said how interesting they are. And so well done and carry on when you've got the time. Shall we go back to our calls now? Yes, and next up is Doris from New York. Hello from New York. This is Doris. Well, it's been a wonderful listening to the Dumpty Dum broadcast because it's been so good and spot on about plot points. But this week I have to comment about Helen, who's had so much trauma in her life from the death of the partner from getting raped, from all these things in her life and her own battles with bulimia or anorexia. I'm not sure which one. And I'm looking forward to this coming to a head at the end of the week. And I'm also looking forward to what all the other dum-de-dummers say about this. Okay, over and out. Bye-bye. I have to say that for all that we love to hate Helen, she has had more than her fair share of misfortunes during her life. Indeed. Like that attack of anorexia following the suicide of Greg. Mm. And a lot of it must stem from her childhood, A, with Pat and Tony, but also, you know, the loss of her brother John and the, as Tom described this week, her mum breaking down, really, following his death and Tony not being a very stable character anyway, or a very solid character. 
Um, must have affected Helen as well, plus life choices with partners and then the choice to have a baby by herself through IVF. So very, it's been a very interesting uh, path that she's trodden and, as, as you say, not um, not entirely sympathetic towards her. Sorry, Witherspoon. But, yeah, she's had her trials. We should say, of course, that the reason that we don't like her is because she is so brilliantly played by Louisa Patikas and the Absolutely. way that Louisa plays her means that we all have opinions about her yeah absolutely but in fact i have to say on friday's episode with her and tim watson the acting was just spot on it took us straight back to those times seven years ago i don't know whether you listened to the extra episode that they put out the bbc put out on friday morning to remind those who haven't been listening for as long as we have or for those that have forgotten the story a little recap with but the voices and uh I thought I think yeah, I think it was great. It was chilling, but great to listen to be ahead of that uh, of that episode. Good call by the BBC to do that with Annabel Dowling, of course. Yes, un- unfortunately, I didn't have time to listen to that because I was at work during the day and then getting everything prepared for this recording during the evening. Yeah. It was quite chilling. I was driving and I had it in the car with me and I have to say that it was chilling and it was a very good reminder of how that relationship had formed and how it, what, and what it became. Seen through the eyes of the narrator of Kirsty. So brilliant. Very, very good. Well done, the BBC, is all I can say. Well, I will try and listen to it maybe before the omnibus. You could Sunday. have written it, actually. Knowing your, your, your penchant for history and well, good stories. The BBC has saved me the bother. <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, let's hear from Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here. I'm phoning in on Thursday night, so before the expected reappearance of Rob on Friday, which means I'll have to guess what's going to happen. I think either he is going to meet Helen in Swindon and offer her a devil's bargain. He won't press charges against Lee as long as Helen 
agrees to give him access to Jack. Or perhaps she'll go after Swindon. Rob will actually turn up in Ambridge and not go to Swindon and cause some havoc there. But by the time you hear this call, all will have been revealed. We have had some interesting insights into how Tom sees the relationship with the rest of his family this week. He said to Lee that he'd been trying to protect them all his life, or certainly since John died. I don't think it would necessarily be obvious to Pat and Tony and Helen that's that that's what he was doing, as Tom always seems to put his own interests first. But, oh well, you know, if he thinks it, that's what he's been doing, then who am I to, you know, say no? Um, also, Helen's reaction to Tom compared to Lee was very interesting. You know, what is it that she finds? Why did she blame Tom so much more? Perhaps she subconsciously blames Tom for not spotting what Rob was earlier. Who knows? Anyway, thank you very much to the podcast team as always and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Stay safe. Bye. Well, that was interesting, Glyn. Uh, I like that speculation uh, pre-Friday because that was something that crossed my mind. Was, was Rob drawing Helen away so that he could dash into Ambridge? Glyn was fairly close with one of his, with mm. his other prediction. But in fact, Rob wasn't or said he wasn't planning to use the incident to act as, as leverage. He was just going to go back to his existing bid for access to Jack. Yeah. Mm, interesting. We never, I, you know, see, that's where my pinch of salt comes in. <laughs> never quite trust anything he says. I know you're not completely of that school, but... Uh, mm. And Glyn talked about Helen treating Tom and Lee differently when it came to that incident. I think it's just because when Helen looks at Tom, she sees her annoying younger brother. And when she looks at Lee, she sees a sort of little sad puppy who can't really be blamed for making a mess in the corner. Oh, interesting point of view. More calls, more calls. We have another first time caller in or a next. It's Michelle Wright. Hello, Jacqueline and Stephen. It's Michelle Wright here and my first time calling in. I've been listening to The Archers pretty consistently for over two decades now, but have only recently discovered the podcast and the Facebook page. It's an absolute delight, super friendly and welcoming, so thanks for all you collectively do. In terms of this week, I thought I'd call in before the big Friday episode, which I'm pretty sure will be better than the 20,000th, as I kind of wanted to reflect on some themes I spotted in the past week or so. Primarily irrational, quick and frankly awful decision making by some of our characters. Firstly, Brian, who I am quite fond of, but his treatment of Stella last week was awful. I'm a bit appalled a well-run farm business never stated any spans of control for financial decision-making, and I cringed when I saw this storyline coming a few months ago. I'm also annoyed that Stella had to come back so apologetically, especially when Adam is probably the one who should be doing so, but I'm glad it's been resolved. Also, in his conversation with Rory, I believe Brian reflected that he had made some poor decisions of late. It's good he can reflect on that, especially as if he does something like that again, he could be facing a valid claim of unfair dismissal. Then there's Lee. Ugh, poor Lee. What on earth compelled him to go with the disaster zone that is Tom in the first place, I do not know. Then, as a karate instructor, a discipline grounded in self-control, to be manipulated into punching a man who is known to be manipulative just makes no sense. I don't think that Helen and Lee's relationship has long to last, sadly. The only reason I can think of to justify all the random impulsive decisions making in the Archers of late is the local coffee supplier. 
coffee has been mentioned as much as soup recently, with both Lee and Brian discussing coffee choices. Maybe they need to switch to decaf for a bit. Anyway, I'm looking forward to tonight's episode and all the responses to that. I'm also looking forward to the mini Cambridge meetup on the 2nd of July, a picnic in the park, which will be fab. So please get in touch if anyone wants more details, as we'd love to meet you. We could also do with a lift from the south, as one attendee has lost her transport for that day. Take care all. Tarara bits. What a lovely call. Thank you very Brilliant much, call. Michelle. I'm really glad you've you've called in. Yeah, Michelle's been quite busy on the Facebook page ensuring that people know about the Cambridge meetup. In fact, it was initiated by a caller we had from either New Zealand or Australia, which I've never been able to re-find the call. Oh, it was an email, I think. An email. I've never been able to re-find the email saying um, that he was going to be in the Cambridge area in July. So maybe Michelle can post on the Facebook page the date, the time and the place and um, hopefully people will follow it through. Yeah, and um, please contact her about uh, via messenger for um, details of the lifts that might be needed from people travelling further south. The Sandersons aren't very far away. Maybe they'll make it. Cambridge is a lovely place for a meet-up and in July if the weather is good there are plenty of good places to go unfortunately getting there from where I live is a complete nightmare so is I it? don't think I'm going to be able to, to uh, make it to that one because you've lived in Cambridge haven't you oh well I was at university there yeah exactly I think they're meeting in some gardens or at a dairy a dairy in some gardens or a nice house somewhere it sounds like I can't quite remember but I'm sure Michelle will put details on the on the on the Facebook page, um, right? So let's just talk about her call, coffee. How do you feel about coffee, Stephen? I run on coffee. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> We're recording this quite early in the morning on Saturday, uh, and I'm already two double espressos in to fire me up to do that. Well, I'm an hour ahead of you, so can you imagine how many I'm on? <laughs> Although I have to say, first thing in the morning, I'm much more of a tea person. I'm very much a Yorkshire tea. Although Jen from Ambridge Pony Club has introduced me to Barry's Irish tea, and I can say that's not half bad either. Here we are, advertising again. Uh, Yeah, lots of bad decision making, I think. And I feel like we've already spent half this year slating Helen. I think we've all moved into Tommy's a twonk mode. Yes, definitely. And the other twonk of the week was probably Brian for what he did to Stella, but that now at least seems to have been settled and we can move on with Home Farm being well looked after, even if the succession still remains completely Uh, unresolved. Yeah, I think the succession's going to go run and run until um, till the last and final hour of Brian Aldridge. Uh, But I still feel annoyed with Adam. I think Adam was, well, last last week he was top of my, as Bernadette Hawkes would say, slap list because he just was not truthful. He was not remembering it correctly and we all knew, we heard that. He's permanently annoying and, and just for the record, I do not sound like him at all. I don't think you sound like him at all, my dear. So. Next up, it's formerly cycling Christine. Hello, all fellow Dumpty Dummers. This is formerly cycling Christine here. This is before Friday's big showdown so I have no idea what's going to happen with Helen and Rob tonight. But I would just like to say a few words about Stella and Brian and Home Farm and just say it seems to me quite amazing that Stella thinks the only way she could possibly get a farm of her own is to marry a farmer. And we now have Brian, the newly widowed farmer, who has a big farm that she runs He's a man that's been shown over the years to have a wandering eye. And despite his now very advanced years, I wouldn't be surprised if our next plot twist is that we have Stella as the second Mrs Aldridge. And that would be such fun to see the fallout between her and the children over the farm. Anyway, thanks very much. 
Love listening to you all. Bye. An interesting idea. I think that Brian's roving days are probably over. Yeah, me too. Although he did have a little go at Pippa, Philippa, didn't he, on uh, at Hay Festival? <laughs> Indeed he did. But marriage <laughs> might be a step too far. Oh, yes, exactly. I actually, I don't agree with Christine. I think it's a too big, too far too big an age gap, far too complicated a situation. Stella is a woman in her own right. She's quite forthright. She's a, a career uh, woman. I mean, yes, I was surprised to hear the only way she'll get her own farm is if she marries a farmer. Mm, that's not out of all a weird thing for her to say, really, because, yeah, that maybe is because she doesn't come from a farming family, does she? She doesn't come from a farming family and there's no way that she's going to make enough money to buy something. But maybe it is foreshadowing and maybe she will marry somebody. But in terms of available people to marry with a farm, the options are, re well, the only option is Brookfield, I suppose. And that would mean marrying Pip. What a horrible yeah. thought. Well, indeed. Just, oh, we couldn't, couldn't cast Pip onto Stella. That would be just too awful. Bad enough having to work with Brian and Adam. Well, next up is our Sandra. Hello, this is Sandra from sunny Waterlooville. With all the excitement of the week, one thing seems to have been lost in the discussions, and that is Rory. He told Ben that he had cut ties complete with Julianne and was living in the flat share. I was pleased when Rory was with Brian and talked about his bar work. When he mentioned the need for a new laptop, he wasn't angling for a handout. Rory didn't share with Brian why his circumstances had changed which I think was a good thing. So let us hope that he will stay on the straight and narrow. That's that from me. Bye. Rory was sounding somewhat chastened by his experiences with Julianne when he came back to Home Farm. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he well, obviously didn't talk to Brian about it and Brian wasn't interested. I think Brian isn't someone who does reflect on the past too readily. I think he accepts... Maybe not quite with Jenny's death as quickly as, as he might have done in the past, but he's definitely someone who doesn't want to know the ins and outs of everybody's lives and the minutiae of how they are. Even when Justin started hinting uh, something funny in the pub uh, about Rory, he, he didn't want to know. Maybe that's just because he's introspective about himself and not other people. But I agree with Sandra. I hope that Rory stays on the straight and narrow because he's young. He's got plenty of time to do things in the future. Get those studies under your belt and get on with it. This is this is a mum talking as a the mother of a twenty one year old who's just finished her third year exams and is twenty one today. <laughs> Happy birthday to Jacqueline's daughter. Let's move on to our next call, which is Sarah from Smethwick. Hello, Planet Dum de Dum. It's Sarah from Smethwick here. There's a lot of things I don't understand about the arches at the minute. For example. I'm really pleased Brian has seen sense to take Stella back on, or rather Stella knew how to appeal to his better sense. But he's got a real blind spot to the changing fortunes of Rory, where it's pretty obvious has had a major change in fortune, and he's now actually having traditional student-style finances, flat shares, having to take the bus, and that good old boy, the part-time job pulling pints. But rather than ask questions, Brian simply pulls several hundred quid out of his back pocket for a new laptop. Also, I genuinely fail to see why Freddie thinks it's impossible to DJ and work at Lower Luxley. DJing is, by its nature, a nocturnal activity, and most of Lower Luxley's business is generally done during the day. No one wants to be a spoil sport. No one wants to be Aunt Mimi, 
who famously told John Lennon that music was all very well and good as a hobby, but that he'd never make a living from it. But then Freddie's no Lennon, is he? And it didn't even see sense when experienced self-made businessman Vince tried talking to him, even offering me what sounded like a pretty good entry-level job. Do these people actually live in the real world? You have got to wonder. And on that, I will say farewell and wish you ta-ra a bit. We haven't really said very much about Freddie so far, and I think the rest of the calls don't touch on him. But I think that he is being incredibly stupid, even by his own exalted standards of stupidity. The idea that he can make a living out of DJing while living at the moment in a country house a long way from the day-to-day. He doesn't spend his entire time listening to music and understanding the scene. It's not credible that he would be able to do that professionally. There are so many people who will be prepared to sleep in tents on beaches and spend every hour of, of the day working on their career as a DJ. And he's just a bumbling amateur with a record collection. Yeah, I know. He's he's so young. He's acting like um, a 16-year-old who doesn't want to go on. He's just taking his GCSEs. He doesn't want to go on to take his A-levels. He wants an out. He wants. He's looking at any way in which he can put stuff together. And being very petulant about the fact that the trustees have said, we think you're not, you need to get more experience under your belt. Well, it's completely logical because he's acting like a spoiled 16-year-old kid rather than a 21, 22-year-old. And the way that he responded to Vince's offer of a post as a management trainee was appalling. It was just a demonstration of utter privilege. Immaturity. Immaturity, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I agree completely with Sarah. He doesn't live in the real world because it's it's a docudrama. But, no, I think if he was my child, uh, Elizabeth's just getting petulant with him and getting irritated and he's being very rude to her back. But it's hard to deal with a child when they're in that kind of mode. And I feel like Freddie's been in that kind of mode ever since the drug dealing, the drug, the, you know, the, the jail spell. Uh, he's not really come out of that i think maybe that stripped him of his of his teenage last few teenage years of a dream that of things that you know doing wild things and blah. oh no he's just been very irritating for me freddie right well it's time for our next call and this one is from Catherine. hi everyone it's Catherine. i've been to the pub so sorry if i sound incoherent i started listening to the archers when i was driving my son back from playing cricket at hampshire like all the time and i was really bored and it seemed to be a lot of sitting around in cars so i joined at the helen and rob thing i remember hearing about them coming back from a honeymoon they bought henry a yacht or like a model yacht or something so i'm really invested in the helen and rob thing and i was listening to it this week and i was thinking what is in it for lee with helen what is he getting from this relationship she's miserable you know understandably i'm not trying to victim blame the sex life is a bit of a disaster whatever he does and oh my god he does it wrong it's wrong i get that but i wouldn't blame him if he just thinks this isn't how i expected a relationship to be and when you're starting and you're young and you think, you know, there's a certain amount of hassle you might get when you're older, but to start out with that hassle does seem a big burden on anyone. Anyway, then I listened to the extra episode this afternoon and at the beginning I feel awful because I was thinking, well, I don't think Rob seems unreasonable. He gets home and he's wondering where his wife is. It would have been nice just text saying, you know, I'm going to be late because I'm out at X, Y, Z. And that's, you know, respect, isn't it? And then the tuna thing. And I thought, well, you know, maybe you didn't like tuna. 
maybe he actually lied and did like tuna. And I thought when she said, I just wanted to have a nice meal together, I'm thinking, tuna pasta bake? Really? <laughs> Come on, you're not students anymore. So at the beginning, I was thinking it was okay. And then it cut straight through to like him being an absolute arse. So, you know, I get that. But if I was Lee, I would bin Helen. Life does not need to be that hard. And that makes me feel awful that I'm a guilty feminist and I should support Helen. But, you know, you've got to look after yourselves. Life is so short. And I wonder if she's actually ready for a relationship. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Helen does seem to enter into relationships with the aim of punishing herself. Mm. She had that grim relationship with Greg, who was always massively depressed and hung up about his daughters. Lee hung up about his daughters. She mm. does pick them. She does. She does pick them. And maybe they pick her as well because she's so vulnerable. But Lee really wanted a relationship and she held back for a long time, didn't she, at the beginning? She she didn't want to go into another relationship. She didn't know whether she could. So, But I agree with Catherine. Oh, blimey, what does he get out of that relationship? Yeah, cut and run, Lee, before you get dragged down further. But he won't because he's not a decision maker. He's not a mover and shaker. No, he's just a, a small puppy. A puppy, yeah. Well, I think you've got that message, Stephen. <laughs> and now for our next call, which is the first one to come in after Friday's episode, and it's from Paul in Ulney. Hello, folks. Not sure who's hosting this week, but nice to be speaking to you after a little break. It's Paul in Ulney here. And, well, that's been a week, hasn't it? Lee, Lee and Tom, what on earth did they think they were going to get out of the Titchener family. A totally wrong-headed, stupid attempt to try and help, which has, by their interference, only made things much worse for Helen and everybody else, and potentially much worse longer term in terms of the Titchener family being back in the Bridge Farm Archer's lives. Just completely and totally dim witted and of course triggering helen's decision to go and talk to the man i found this evening's episode a bit bizarre helen overwrought yes understandable rob trying to claim that he'd changed me and i'm sure a lot of us sat there thinking he's gaslighting you stop don't listen to what he's saying you know what the man's like he's claimed to have changed before it's not going to happen and then he has a seizure is it too beyond the realms of belief to think that he's got some small electronic device somewhere which he's used to trigger the effects of something? Because he was completely clear in the hospital. And is this just a way of trying to get Helen's sympathy and pulling her back in? Or am I just too affected by the bizarreness of the entire thing? Right, well, I think that Paul has just agreed with everybody else, what we've said and all the other previous caller in us, Lee and Tom, what utter dim-witted twits they've been. So uh, that's one thing. Now, what did you think about Paul's thoughts about Rob and his fit? Did you think it was real? I think there was something wrong. He was sounding odd. I know that several people commented on Facebook that it sounded like a different actor, and I think that was deliberate. I think that there probably is an underlying cause for that fit, I think there was an underlying cause for that fit, and I think that Witherspoon has some thoughts on diagnosing that, mm. uh, and, and we'll hear from him in, the, in in a short while. 
Yeah, I yeah, I felt that Paul went into realms of fantasy that um, Rob could have brought it on. Now, his voice was slightly different, but I felt it was, because we'd been used to uh, Rob as a strident, shouty, nasty person. I felt that his voice was sounded weaker. The actor's voice sounded weaker. He was playing it weaker, but not necessarily in a weak, more in a wheedling way with everything that he said at the beginning. I didn't, I recognised it as as the same actor, Tim Watson, but I didn't think he was a different one, but he had a different manner to his approach. Yes, that's true. And it's hard to tell at this point whether or not he was putting that on or mm. whether all that time in North Dakota in the middle of nowhere with nobody around him has actually changed his personality fundamentally and mm. made him much more accepting of other people. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I, I know, I still think he's a manipulative person. He, he's, His fit may be real and his need, want and his need to see his son is real, but his manner of trying to slime around people and Helen, you know, even from, I like the way you've done your hair, et cetera, et cetera, you know. No, 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 no. He's the same old leopard spots, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there were definitely a few flashes of the old Rob in that yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your call, Paul. As good as ever. Thank you for coming back to us. And now we have Steve. Hi, it's Steve here calling in for the second time. I would have called in last week, but I lost my glasses. I was a bit busy <laughs> finding them last week. So I want to ring in this week about talk about the superpower of one of the characters in the Archers. I could talk about Rob and his superpower in manipulating Lee on his first meeting, like some sort of Jedi mind lord, turning Lee into a psycho and pushing him over. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Stella, who seems to be amazing at her job and does the work of two people. So poor Brian and Adam are both full-time working on the farm now, and both of them are out flat on their feet trying to do the same amount of work that Stella does on her own. She seems amazing. I, I mean, I, I wish she'd come and work for me. She seems brilliant. So I don't think Brian actually needed to accept her apology. I, or, or Stella didn't need to apologise to Brian. I think he would have caved in pretty soon and just offered her a job back because it was wearing him out so much. So I just want to say, well done, Stella. That's it. Still loving the podcast. Thanks very much. Goodbye. I'm a huge fan of Stella. I think she's a brilliant character. She's one of the only people in the village that I actually would quite like to meet and I, I think that I would get on with if she was there. I think that Steve thinks that Adam is still working at Home Farm. I, I believe he's now gone back to working full-time at Bridge Farm, leaving Brian to call in the likes of Ed Grundy to do some work. Yeah, I have to say that Stella is someone that, uh, a character that I really like as well because she's very definite. She's got a good work ethic. She's obviously good at her job. And I agree with Steve that she definitely has more oomph to her than Adam ever had in the, in the same job. Now, I'm quite curious that Steve had lost his glasses. Had he been on the stag night, do you think? And now we heard from Doris in New York earlier, but she came back for a little more. Hey, Dumpty Dumbers. This is going to be short and sweet because this is my second recording and there are cookies in the oven that are beeping. But I'm going to say that Rob has will be diagnosed with a brain tumour and will be dead and there will be drama, period. Well, that was short and sweet. I hope the cookies were sweet too. <laughs> I think that we're actually going to get another call along the same lines from Witherspoon a bit later on about what was wrong with Rob. So let's wait and see what happens there. But thank you for that additional call, Doris. Great call, Doris. Next up, it's Claire from Clapham. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. So aren't the Bridge Farm Archers dumb? And in so many ways, I have to say that after the altercation, when Lee and Tom went down to see Rob, I just couldn't listen for a couple of days. I just, 
I could barely bring myself to hear what happened next because I just knew in my gut this terrible sense of dread that Lee had just made everything so much worse. And it was all Tom's fault because they should never have gone. So ridiculous. And then Helen deciding to go. I mean, that was so stupid. I, I just, oh, I've done a lot of shouting at the radio this week. So uh, I just don't know how that's going to pan out. But I sort of vaguely hope that Rob is dying of something. And then also that uh, Helen will just stay away because that's what she should have done in the first place. But I don't care if Rob has changed. He still doesn't deserve a second chance. Tough. Uh, so, yeah, that's my feelings on that. Really interesting session, section this week on, like, the the responsibilities of being the heir with Rory and who else? Rory and Freddie and Ben. I really like to hear those three together. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Like they're all of an age. They sort of grew up together, but they have very different sorts of circumstances. Yeah, the comparisons are quite uh, fun to draw. Meanwhile, Stella would have loved to have inherited a farm. She should have done. I don't understand why she should have... like apologize to Brian I'm sort of disappointed with her for that I think she should have stuck to her guns and got her job back anyway but there you go the archers rolls on keep up the good work Dumpty Dummers and I'll speak to you soon bye I think Stella apologized as a way of de-escalating the situation I think that if she'd held on and Brian had ultimately been forced to take her back under duress that would have led to a a much more difficult relationship between the two of them for the the years ahead Yeah, I agree. I think that you could tell when Justin was in the pub explaining to Stella what he was going to do to force Brian to to either lose the contract or take Stella back. And I think that that is another thing that's come out about Stella. She's a very moral, straight and correct character. She couldn't cope with that kind of manipulation of somebody and didn't want to go into that situation. Um, All kudos to her. And I think, yeah, as you say, she apologised only because she thought that was the best way of moving forward and getting a job back which you loved indeed now can we just talk about these heirs <laughs> yes so i've mentioned in the past the problems around a lack of succession at various places yeah. in uh, in ambridge mostly the farms with it being unclear who was going to inherit or how it was going to work at bridge farm brookfield and home farm a part of that was addressed though for home farm wasn't it with the um partnership agreement in theory but that's only in while brian is still alive when brian dies that partnership is going to have to be reorganized in one way and they will need somebody to run the farm and it could be stella on behalf of all the partners but that's going to be I think, a lot trickier without the real strong guiding force from Brian. Yeah, they'll all have their six months' worth of wanting to say something and do something, and, yeah, who will know what will get done? Yes, I think Brian might want Rory to Mm. inherit, and Rory, with his chastened lifestyle, is, I think, moving in the direction of being more capable of doing that, but at Mm. the same time, I think that he has no interest no. in becoming a farmer. I think that was very much the story that was told this week with his time even helping with a piece of machinery, you know, and Brian talking about the wonderful life in the countryside and on the farm and home is where the home farm is where the heart is. Yeah, and Rory was definitely not, not going for that at all. Maybe in later years, though, you know. But that probably leaves Adam as the only 
member of the family who would be capable of, of managing the farm. But he's not that young. No, no. And of course, there's always Debbie and Alice are involved in the farm as well. Just leaves Kate to put the spanner in the works, as always. Meanwhile, at Lower Loxley, it's very clear who the heir is, but he does seem increasingly unsuitable for the job and far from maturing in the way that the trustees and Elizabeth would like. Mm. He is becoming more and more childish. Lily would be a much better Chatelaine of Lower Loxley, but the way that Nigel set it up, that's not really an option. No, not at all. Although she's doing land management, isn't she, at Borchester University? That makes her very suitable to run the place. Yeah. But unless Freddie gives it to her, she's not going to be able to, to do that except as an employee. An employee, yeah, exactly. And that just sounds like a nightmare from, from where we're looking at Freddie from where he is now. And we go back to Richard's call with Elizabeth letting Freddie take it over and hoping he doesn't die for... She doesn't die for seven years. Yes. <laughs> Interesting theories. But that's what's so brilliant about the Archers, you know. We we get to know these families. We see the, their foibles and their mistakes. Where it's, in real life, it's happening all around us, all, all sorts of little errors of inheritances and families and all the rest of it. But this has been going on for so long, they feel like real characters to us, don't they? Yes, I mean, the, the future of Home Farm with Rory in the picture was, I think, consciously set up 20 years ago with yeah. the... Brian and Javon affair. They yeah. knew that 20 years down the line, there would be a question of Rory's relationship with the rest of the family and with Home Farm. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. And, you know, this is why we love it, isn't it? Yes. And now it's time for our final call from the upper lower east west side. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Woodspoon and Angus Haggis here. First, I must mention that Husband and I will be back in the UK in a month. I'm very excited. In London, we're staying at an Airbnb on Bishopsgate, very near Liverpool Street Station. So I'm calling for a Dumpty Dum meetup on Monday, the 17th of July for drinks from 5.30 p.m. Any suggestions of a pub in the area that has space that could accommodate us Please post on Facebook. I already started a thread. What are people talking about? I'll give you one guess. First, I thought Helen had a very good week, starting with how she handled Tweedledee and Dumb, Tom and Lee. By the way, I thought brilliant point by P last week. Maybe the writers did riff on Bruce Lee when they came up with the name Lee Bryce. Anyway, what a pair of dummies. And if I were Helen, I would have hit the roof of the Empire State Building upon hearing about their major screw-up. She showed great restraint. Then, to have the courage to confront Rob and the trauma of his abuse and rape of her, while still keeping it together, which she did, was impressive. Let's see what the MRI shows. I, as many others, are predicting it's an inoperable brain tumor, and he has six months to live. That's what Rob was trying to tell Helen. A seizure in a middle-aged person without a previous history of a seizure disorder usually means a significant brain lesion. Briefly, I actually felt sorry for whiny Freddy. Vince, who does not have a great track record as a dad, had no business getting into the business of his girlfriend's adult child. He should have kept stum. If I were Freddy, I also would have laughed at the idea of working as a management trainee at a slaughterhouse. I don't think he was laughing at Vince himself. Vince is very old-fashioned and is just inviting more family conflict. Talk to you soon. Vince is, I think, very clumsy in the way that he deals with people. 
and he usually does it by offering money or posh meals or things like that. But in this case, I think he really was trying hard. It's just his vocabulary felt so limited and all he could offer was a job that actually would have been very good for Freddie. So I think that I, I don't fully agree with Witherspoon about Freddie's reaction. I still think that it was uh, it was the reaction of an overprivileged, foolish child rather than a, a sensible reaction to what was intended as a genuine offer. Yeah, I, I didn't even know Vince was still on the scene, so that was a bit of a surprise that he was actually there with Elizabeth. And then, um, actually, I think summing up Freddie's actions as an overprivileged... She was, Elizabeth was cooking the sticky biryani, or the bottom-sticking biryani, and Freddie walks in and said, what's for dinner? For goodness sake, if one of my children walked into the kitchen when I was cooking a meal and didn't say, can I help you with that? Can I set the table? Oh, am I, is it okay if I eat with you tonight? Because he seems to flit in and out. I would have had to have sharp words with them, I think. I think they would have, but they would never do that. It wouldn't, she was there having, planning a romantic dinner, a curry. Hmm? Who knows? If you walk into a kitchen where somebody's cooking a biryani, you shouldn't need to ask what's for dinner. Because... <laughs> Biryanis fill the kitchen with uh, spicy exactly. fragrance. Exactly. Unless, of course, their kitchen is a grand chateau kitchen rather than a little flat kitchen, which I suspect. You said that you were surprised that Vince was still on the scene. Hmm. But that wasn't the only Casey reference we had this week because Ben talked about possibly getting back in touch oh, with yes. Beth. Oh, yes. Of course. So I, I, I think the, the cases are far from gone from the story and it wouldn't surprise me if Beth does return to the scene in one way or another. And I liked that relationship, apart from the fact that it was always so difficult, Ben, Beth and Beth. But uh, I, I liked that relationship between Ben and Beth. And I always felt that, yes, they got together very young and that actually in a few years' time, when they've both um, got over the trauma of the Chelsea and Ben's more established as a nurse and she's they, she's living in the area because she's working in at the market. So, you know. I'd like to see. I'd like to see them. I, I I quite like Beth as a character. I know everybody thinks that she's miserable, but that's just her oh, well. Birmingham accent. Yeah, I think so. But let's also turn to the question about Rob's health. Yeah, I think that a, a brain tumor is a distinct possibility for all the reasons Witherspoon gives. But I think that if that's the case, Rob may not have realised that it was a situation. I don't think Rob knew that he was ill. So the idea that he is wanting to see. Jack because he's dying doesn't necessarily make sense. No. It'd be interesting to see how it pans out. Who can say? We can't speculate, but um yeah, I think we'll have to see whether Rob ends up being um whether the uh, what did Doris say? It's gonna cause a problem. Was it caused by Lee? It's gonna be a difficult uh, time to come, to paraphrase. So, yeah, I think that sums it up, and I agree. And I think um, Doris and Witherspoon are friends, so they've probably uh, compared medical notes. <laughs> so, those are the calls, but you can also send us an email if you'd prefer. Visit the dumptydum.com website and click the Contact Us tab at the top of the page. Please keep them brief, up to a maximum of 250 words. And remember, you need to be over 18 to submit any views or comments. So, did we have any emails this week? We had a zero, null point, emails this week, Stephen. So, let's hear what the social media gurus have been talking about on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page with our Sandra.
Hello, this is Sandra with a selection from the Facebook group, but this week it's a one-topic summary. Frustratingly, I have to record this segment before the excitement of Friday evening. Some of us have found the bonus episode on sounds. Nicholas Nitsua likened it to a very poor true crime podcast. Others, such as Susan Delamere, thought differently. She thought it was a good summary for newcomers. Sally Hall thought it a good reminder of the background. I'm in that camp. It was a useful refresher. Bernadette Hawkes expressed concern over Helen as she may slide back into anorexia. Helen's determination to meet Rob is both mad and dangerous. Paul Newman believes that Helen wants to meet Rob so that he will accept Lee's apology, so Lee won't have a criminal record. However, Paul can't see any bargaining working out. Joan Dines Reynolds thinks that Helen wants to protect Lee's future chances to visit his children. Nobody believes that the meeting is a good idea. Fiona Casper said that by meeting Rob, Helen will invalidate the terms of the non-molestation order. Amy Elizabeth Tackett said that if you file a no-contact order, then disregard the order that you filed, then that will not look favourable in the courts. Leslie Hay suggested that Helen send a Tasha to give Rob hell. Sue Lee could see that Helen was desperately trying to regain control, but it won't end well. There is still a debate about whether or not Rob will actually feature in an episode. KP Cunningham is still convinced that we won't hear from him at all. Gillian Corrigan wondered if it might be an off-air conversation, with Helen reporting back later. Helen Hughes and her mum are excited. Helen thinks that there will be a cliffhanger and Rob will make a comeback just before the closing dumpty-dums. Andrea Twelves isn't a fan of Helen, but understands why she was annoyed with Tom. She was amazing not to be more shouty with him, or perhaps slap him round the head with some of his sausages. Elizabeth Byrne doesn't like the It's All About Me, Helen. Kate Lyle disagreed and said that it is all about Helen and the boys. Kate also pointed out that there was some victim blaming in some comments. David Thomas shared a picture of Swindon Railway Station and urged Helen not to get off of the train. On a lighter note, Fran Danilovich added a one-word post. Soup! Michelle Wright said, what a shocker of an episode. I can't believe it. Pat's made soup. Nola Griffin loved the way that Tony said it, like it was an uncommon experience. (laughs) Well, that's all from me for now. Bye. Thank you to Sandra and to everyone who posted their thoughts on the Dum De Dum Facebook page. Sadly, that was Sandra's last Facebook roundup and we would like to thank her for all her contributions. Thank you so much, Sandra, for quite a few years of work there. But now it's time to welcome new members to that group. Yes, a very warm welcome to... British Dressage North and East Region. Mm. Gemma Carter. Catherine Batten. And Matt Dunn. You'll also find us on Twitter under at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, which helps those using machine readers to enjoy any Archers-based tweets. That hashtag is also your gateway to the tweet-along that takes place alongside the daily episodes and really gets going for the Sunday Omnibus. Now, as well as at Dumpty Dum, we're both on Twitter. I can be found at Jberto Sanguen and... And I'm at, at Wenlock House. And now... Let's turn to this week's gongs. Hello, it's Fry here. And now, on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. 
It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week, the Twitterati have been keenly speculating on why Justin wants to help Stella and whether it's just to annoy Brian, in which case he'll almost certainly drop the Julianne bomb sometime soon. The other great topic was whether Freddie will thrive and come back a great success or if he'll end up working in the chicken factory. I'd call it an even split of votes either way. But my favourite thread was started by Charlie Thomas. Yes, him, at cthomas663, who had some questions that the Archers tweet alongers need answers to. Is Bartleby still alive? How's Natasha's credit card debt going? Are people still burying their pants? Has Ian sold a single pizza to an actual paying customer? Replies include, speed watch, anyone still doing it? Does Dan ever get joint ache? How old are those llamas? Have David and Ruth done any wedding event business? What's happened to Alastair's budding affair with the veterinary nurse? And crucially, how is Jazz's spider faring with the Horobin clan? There are many more things that the tweet-along demands answers. But now to my medal for tweets of the week. In bronze position, it's newcomer to the podium, Sharon E. At Arthur Sixpence. Brian says, look at me, Alice. I'm fighting fit. The god of drama for everyday folk rubs hands in evil manner. The silver medal goes to regular contributor Matt, at Matt underscore Mark 2, who quotes Elizabeth saying to Freddie, at least have something to fall back on. What, like owning a lately home? And the gold medal this week goes to Airscaper, at Airscaper, in response to a question from Patricia at Olympians, who asked, what does one wear to confrontation with your abusive ex who wants access to your child? Airscaper says, in Rob's case... A wiretap, a concealed stun gun, one of those spiked dog collars, a false smile, pepper spray in pocket, a pussy riot t-shirt and a tracker just in case something happens to you. I'm picturing Helen in that instead of the dress that Rob said she ought to wear. Well, that's it for this week. See you all on Twitter next time. Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in Purple Pumpkin's Roundup, but especially those medal winners. In bronze, Sharon E. at Arthur Sixpence. In silver, Matt at Matt underscore Mark Two. And in gold, Airscaper at Airscaper. Now, don't forget, we're on Instagram. We are at Dumpty Dum, which is run by the very lovely Katie. So do follow us there. Um, you can hashtag Dumpty Dum if you make an Instagram post on your own page and which you think might be interesting to our Dumpty Dum family. It remains just to say thank you as ever to all our contributors and to our social media supremos. As ever, we also thank Shambridge for her voices and our own podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown.